Welcome back to another episode of News of the Week. I am your host, Desmond Price. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. As we are doing with these News of the Week segments, this is just a chance for me to briefly touch on some topics that have gone on throughout the week, uh, sometimes even a week or so prior. Just my way to get a couple extra pieces of content to everyone throughout the week in not so much of a deep dive that you would see in a normal episode. So got a few different topics I want to talk about in our first half of this news of the week and a couple different for the second half. First, I want to talk about some of the laws that are being put onto the books or being proposed in various states right now in regards to abortion and bans on the practice. I want to highlight three states in particular for this particular conversation, first of which will be Oklahoma, where the legislature within the last week has approved a bill that basically bans all abortions. It bans abortions beginning at fertilization. Uh, if in fact passed, well, if in fact signed into law, it will be the strictest abortion law in the country. It would ban abortion basically entirely uh, unless it is to save the life of the mother or to end pregnancies due to rape and incest. Uh, the rape and incest exceptions only apply if the woman reports the rape or incest to the police, which I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think we could probably all know from people that we know in our own lives that when someone gets sexually assaulted, they don't always report it. So for various different reasons. So the fact that that is a requirement is obscene as far as I'm concerned. The bill would use civilian enforcement, allowing people to sue some sue anybody involved in inducing or performing an abortion. Now this was first popularized uh, by the state of Texas. And I believe the motivation for doing this was because through enforcing it this way, where someone could sue you uh, and not having it be the government that would charge you with a specific crime, they were trying to skirt any issues with a court striking the law down. And so now that basically, you know, the courts took a look at that law that was passed in Texas where you could sue someone and realize that the courts weren't going to strike that down over the idea of constitutionality, that these other states are now taking this into effect as well, as far as another state that I'm going to mention here in a little bit. But even people who help others pay for abortions can be sued. The bill uh, is referred to as House Bill 4327 provides statutory damages of not less than $10,000 plus court costs and fees. So that's the minimum that you will be sued. Like you can be sued more than that, but it's guaranteed 10 grand. People can be sued under the bill for aiding and abetting abortions, including paying uh, or reimbursing costs of an abortion through insurance or otherwise. And this is completely grotesque. If we're just being 100% transparent, I cannot for the life of me understand how this is going on right now. And this isn't causing an absolute uprising. I know that the debate around abortion is not 
black and white in every part of the country. There's a lot of gray in certain areas of the country. But this is incredibly extreme. This is incredibly extreme. You know, from every poll that I've seen, most people, it seems in the country, believe that there should be some cases where abortions should be legal. Uh, I mean, I think most people just agree with the Roe v. Wade current standing. So the fact that you would not only go way, way to the to the more conservative part of the of the angle with this story, it would actually go to completely making it illegal altogether. It, it's just it's absolutely baffling to me, and I I just don't understand how they're trying to get away with this. I I just I don't think this is going to end well for some of these states and what they're trying to do. I think there'll be a huge upheaval in certain areas of the country, but I guess time will tell. Once the Supreme Court eventually does drop their official decision, we will see what the reaction is. But transitioning away from Oklahoma, now let's talk about Louisiana. A couple of weeks ago, a Republican lawmaker in the state legislature had proposed a bill that would said that anyone who received an abortion in that state could be charged with homicide. Now, this was a little bit different than other anti-abortion laws, because this one particularly focused on punishing abortion providers and people who helped others obtain abortion, but not the patient themselves. Even, even so, anti-abortion rights groups felt that the, the bill went too far. So even other Republicans in the state legislature felt that this bill in particular went too far, and they tried their best to amend the bill, uh, which ultimately caused uh, the state rep, Danny McCormick, to withdraw the bill from consideration. This was after the governor in Louisiana, who is a Democrat, uh, said that he you know, does not support abortion rights, okay, uh, but said that he would um, not support the measure if it reached his desk, calling it patently unconstitutional uh, to suggest that a woman could be jailed for an abortion is simply, um, is simply absurd. So when this was introduced, it was known as the Abolition of Abortion in Louisiana Act. And it said that the state would enforce the law, quote unquote, without regard of Roe v. Wade or and its judicial progeny, including Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That case reaffirmed the right to an abortion in the U.S. in 1992. It also said that Louisiana as a state could disregard any federal court order uh, looking to void any section of the law. Additionally, if a judge in the state attempted to declare the law as unconstitutional or block it, that they could be subject to impeachment or removal. Now, this absolutely blew my mind. I didn't even, I mean, the audacity of anyone in any legislature saying, like, putting in a bill that if a judge, you know, tries to block this law, that they'll be, you know, essentially, like, they could be impeached for the matter, you know. Last time I checked, the legislative branch in any state government doesn't have that kind of power over the judicial branch. So it sounds to me like this guy had no idea what the hell he was actually writing into this piece of legislation, which is why, which I'm assuming, which is why so many of the Republicans in the state of Louisiana who probably felt the same way as him realized they couldn't go that far from a policy standpoint. I'm projecting, but it seems that way. Uh, it seems as though another state rep named Alan Sebaugh said that he was opposed to abortion rights, but was also against McCormick's measure. He said that the bill would be enjoined as something that is signed into law because lawmakers don't have the authority 
to ignore the law of the land and cannot tell judges to not rule on a law. Yeah, I would, I would think that that'd be a, a pretty big duh moment there. So uh, the person I just mentioned, Seaball, proposed an amendment that would effectively change the entire bill, remove the language of punishing a pregnant person and made it so that the measure uh, could take effect only if Roe was overturned. And the amendment also got rid of the language that likely would have made certain that contraceptives were illegal. And then the Louisiana State House voted in support of amending this. And in response, McCormick pulled the measure from the legislative calendar. So definitely a good thing for the time being, but there's no guarantees that they might not go back to this if Roe is overturned, because it seems as though the other Republicans in the state legislature right now in Louisiana seemed especially shook by the idea of going that far under the current landscape, but if the landscape changes, who is to say that they won't change? So keeping an eye on Louisiana for now, no way of knowing if that's gonna be something that we'll have to revisit in the future or not. All of this seems so uncertain right now. All these different state laws that are going into effect. We know that there's 13 different states right now that have what's known as trigger laws to where if Roe is overturned, then abortions will be banned completely in all 13 states. So it's it, it's all chaotic right now. I, I cannot believe where some of these things are at, especially in our third state that we're going to highlight here is the state of Idaho, where they passed a bill, a Senate bill, 1309, which was similar to Texas, which allowed people to sue those who were getting an abortion. Uh, but one of the caveats for this particular Idaho bill was not only did it allow, you know, a woman to be sued for getting an abortion, but that it specifically allowed family members of the fetus to go ahead and sue for someone choosing to get an abortion. Now, this included also, you know, family members of rapists. So if you so if someone were to be raped in the state of Idaho, and then that person goes and tries to get an abortion, the rapist family members can sue that person for getting an abortion in the state of Idaho. And not only that, but apparently multiple siblings of said rapist could in fact sue this person. So you're a person, you got raped, you try to go ahead and get an abortion, now, the rapist can't actually sue you directly under this law, but if they have seven brothers and sisters, each one of these seven people can now sue you individually for X amount of dollars. That is how this Idaho bill is currently constructed. And as of a couple of days ago, the Idaho Supreme Court uh, decided not to block this from becoming law. So that is where we are right now with some of these pieces of legislature that are going into effect or potentially into effect in the not too distant future. I cannot even stomach how absolutely disgusting this is. And as much as I want to attack Republicans for this, which there was going to be plenty of time for that in the future. I, I just, I cannot get over how upset I am with Democrats over this. I mean, I mean truthfully speaking, Democrats have the power right now to do something about this and they're and they're not doing it they're, they're just not doing it and I, I touched on that in my filibuster bill, bill episode 
in my, you know, should you vote blue, you know, in 2022 episode, it, it is absolutely criminal to me right now that we are not doing something about this. The Democrats need to abolish the damn filibuster and they will be able to codify Roe v. Wade into law because they can get a couple Republicans to cross over and vote with them in order to make sure that Roe v. Wade is codified on the federal level and all of these bills on the state level go away. All of them go away. As it currently stands, they would need 60 votes in the Senate, 60 in order to make sure that you can codify like Roe v. Wade into law. They're not going to get 60. You're not getting 10 Republican senators to vote with you. That's not going to happen. You might get a couple. You might get like a Murkowski and a Collins, for instance. And so even if someone like Manchin decided that he just, you know, he wanted to be a West Virginia Democrat, otherwise known as a Republican, and not vote, you can still probably pick off one or two, or maybe even a Republican who's retiring this year, like a Pat Toomey, for instance, who maybe not wouldn't care because he's leaving the, the Senate anyway. And he's also in a state of Pennsylvania, which is a moderate state, probably wouldn't receive as much backlash being a Republican in Pennsylvania as you would maybe a Republican in another state. So there are options for making sure that this is codified into law. Elizabeth Warren happens to agree. I saw her post this tweet just today. She said that she grew up in Oklahoma when abortions were illegal. And she says, I won't stop fighting to keep the GOP from dragging us backwards. We must end the filibuster to pass a law protecting Roe. Elizabeth Warren, thank you for saying that. Chuck Schumer, everyone needs to get on board with this. The Roe v. Wade is not going to be protected, it seems like, from any other way. It seems like the Supreme Court is poised to overturn this. All these laws are going to go into effect. The filibuster must be removed, period. End of story. Now, next thing I want to talk about here before we transition into our break, I just want to give a brief acknowledgement to the mass shooting that happened in Buffalo over the, you know, over the last week. I'm, I made a, a post about this last weekend on my Instagram story, so I'm just going to be quick again about this. But, you know, I want to just give condolences to the people who suffered uh, over in Buffalo, New York, uh, to the people who lost their lives, to the families who are continuing to grieve, to all the people in that neighborhood who probably feel more unsafe now because of what they experienced. It's absolutely horrifying that, you know, people just, I mean, I'm somebody who has black skin and I've, I'm not going to go into a super deep story about this, but I've had many encounters in my life where I had to deal with racism. Having someone hate you or think less than of you or, or want to, you know, take your life because you have a different skin color that you're born with. I don't know if I want to, I don't know exactly how to categorize what type of person that is. Cause racist just doesn't feel like a strong enough word sometimes. Like the absolute like unhingedness that must come into a person's mind in order to like hold that belief is unimaginable to me. 
just in general, but when it's then you use that thought process to then try to take someone's life again, because they have a different skin color than you. I don't know exactly what the, what the answer is for racism. You know, we've been trying to address this issue in some way, shape or form for ever. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know this. And I, and I mentioned this briefly when I was talking about it on Instagram. The answer isn't let's stop talking about race because that is the proposal that's being pushed around the country right now with all these anti-CRT nonsense, which without even going into that conversation in and of itself, let's just call it for what it really is. You know, they, you know, some people have found some really extreme examples of lessons being taught in schools around the country. And they try to prop up those extreme examples and say that that's what's happening in every school district everywhere. And so then you go ahead and you pass laws that basically give a very vague definition of what CRT is and say, now you can't talk about it. But what's really going to happen is, is that whenever you talk about race issues of any kind, or if you talk about race in a way that makes someone feel uncomfortable, now you're going to trigger certain teachers to get backlash from school, from like children's parents, which is going to lead to teachers who don't get paid that much anyway and have very, you know, probably worry about their job security getting, you know, like paid as shitty as they already are. They'll probably just stay away from the topic altogether. And so in the place where you probably need to be talking about this stuff the most, you know, during your early childhood, before you develop super prejudices, now we won't be able to talk about it at all. And so we'll be taking a problem that already is as, you know, just as exacerbated as it is and actually making it worse. All it just, it's beyond heartbreaking. It's, it's beyond like devastating. I, I, I go back and forth between feeling numb sometimes and feeling angry, but it, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I know that I'm going to do my absolute best to keep fighting against absolute idiocy and just bigotry and and at the end of the day some of these people in some of these state governments they know exactly what they're doing they are creating a stupid culture war issue for the sake of trying to gin up their base to come out and vote for that because they have no real answers to actually how to help this country in any like tangible way so this is a way to keep people to going out to the ballot box to keep them in positions of power it's all fucking gross and it actually is hurting people. And in some cases, like in Buffalo, it does cost people their lives. It's fucking disgusting. We should all be coming together to promote unity and promote the ideas that we're not separated by the color of our skin and not creating stupid division over things like, well, we shouldn't talk about these things in schools because you know that's just not the right time for them to be learning about things like this. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. 
you can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. All right, welcome back from the break, everyone. I'm going to try to fly through the last few of these stories just because I want to try to keep these these uh, news of the week stories, stories, these news of the week segments a little bit shorter, kind of got off into a little bit of a tangent with that last one. First, a really quick, a potent, well, it seems like a, a good story. I was kind of, it's nice to go across, to come across a good story for a change. I'm going to be quick with this one. So California is uh, about to begin the nation's largest dam removal project, which is a significant win for a long threatened wildlife. This is expected uh, for next year. Uh, basically, this is, well, what's, what's happening here is that this dam is going to be removed. Um, yeah, largest project in U.S. history as far as dam removal is concerned. Uh, it seems like this is being done for a financial re- reason. Uh, but with that being said, it's supposed to have a pretty massive effect for the wildlife in this area, particularly uh, with it seems like uh, with salmon. So at the at the heart, you know, this is a fish restoration project. This is said by Michael Belchek. He's a senior fisheries biologist for the Yurok tribe. And apparently there has been a long lamented decline of salmon, you know, like in this region, in the Kalamath River. On top of that fact, you know, the as it stands right now, the fish would like swim up river but they are stopped at these dams, which is an impasse considered detrimental to their numbers. And at the stake of nothing less, this is the future of the cherished Chinook salmon run. There are once hundreds of thousands of them in the river. Their numbers have been declining rapidly over the years. This dam apparently like no longer is generating any significant power, but there were some local residents who had opposed demolition because of their reluctance to surrender any power source and the pending loss of their waterfront property. Boo-hoo. So the dam removal is expected to not only boost the, the fish numbers, but also increase biodiversity, which can harden the fish to the challenges of the drought, warming water temperatures, and other hardships they might face with the changing climate. I tried to read more about the story, but the San Francisco Chronicle has paywalled this article, but I will link it below for those of you who might be interested. Another story that I came across was something by, from ProPublica, which I got to tell you, if you are not already, you should be following ProPublica because these people do some 
amazing journalism. I just, I'm going to quickly go through this story. This is actually a story about some corruption. I know that everyone loves a good corruption story. There was a, in last year in Nevada, that's where this story takes place. There was a mandate that required unvaccinated or traveling athletes to get tested weekly. So, you know, you would get a, you actually end up getting like a nasal swab, you know, for an antigen test. And then a second swab would be sent to an out-of-state laboratory for a more sensitive like PCR test. Now, what ended up happening was, you know, people kept getting, um, kept getting like weird results with their tests. So like sometimes it'd be positive and then you get like a negative one. And then it was just very inconsistent and people weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, universities and school districts, you know, basically kept seeing that the same things pop up over and over again. And they were kind of unsure about why this was happening. Uh, but what they ended up finding out was through a little bit of investigating on their own front was that they had both hired this company named North Shore Clinical Labs. And this was a Chicago-based company that was pursuing government customers in Nevada. And so, you know, learning about the inconsistent results, uh, Washoe County Assistant Manager uh, started negotiating with uh, North Shore to provide testing for public employees and local residents. Now, ProPublica looked into this and found out that, you know, like into this company's operations in Nevada, they went through like 3,000 pages of internal emails to look through what was going on here with this particular story. And they found out that this, you know, North Shore, this, you know, Chicago-based laboratory testing uh, was using like unreliable testing from the start. In fact, it seemed that evidence started to mount that North Shore was telling people who ended up later find well, we like ended up coming out later that these people were infected. That North Shore's like faulty testing was telling people that they were actually not infected with COVID when they were. And so ultimately, state public officials found out that North Shore's PCR tests ended up missing. 96% of the positive cases from the university campuses, 96%. So imagine that you have a policy where people have to get tested at these universities all the time. And the PCR tests, we were all told, you know, around the country rather, that PCR tests were like the, the best tests possible. So North Shore was saying, yeah, send your, send your stuff to us, you know, like, well, We'll, we'll double check to make sure that everything's good. So, you know, they would take a rapid antigen test, like, you know, at these universities, at these schools, they'd come back positive. Then they sent a second one to the PCR. They'd send a second one, like out of state to get an official PCR test at, you know, through North Shore. And North Shore was like, oh no, you know, our test has you as negative, you know, don't worry, you're good to go. But 96% of these tests they sent back that were negative were actually positive. Not only that, but it seems as though North Shore actually used like political connections in the first place to even get these contracts. Apparently, uh, sons of a close friend to the governor actually fast-tracked North Shore's ability to uh, secure like an application, well, a license application and testing agreements with several government entities around the state. And these agreements not only gave North Shore the exclusive right to test and bill thousands of people a week, it also gave its lab legitimacy lacking among upstart testing companies that had set up shop in like strip malls and parking lots across the country, so on and so forth. 
So basically what ended up happening is that not only did they have faulty tests that weren't working correctly in the first place, but they also were able to collect over $165 million from the federal government for these tests that were not even working correctly. And they were also misinforming people that they did not have COVID when they actually did. So fun times. I will also have that link in the episode description as well. I don't know that there's essentially a moral to the story here. I was trying to think about what I wanted my takeaway to be after I was reading this. But I I think more than anything, what I want to point out to people is the corruption on so many different levels that we see around the country. You know, there are so many companies that embed themselves with governments, sometimes even the state and local level, and they're able to essentially run scams like this. It's, It's absolutely insane. But also think about the people who... I mean, were, I mean, how many people got infected because of this? I mean, if you thought to yourself that you were negative and you went about your daily life thinking that you were negative, how many people did you come into contact with who got infected because of that? Uh, it's just, it's, I mean, in a sense, it's criminal as far as I'm concerned, but we're going to move on from that story here. My final story that I want to tell everyone about here as I'm trying to keep this tradition up with these news of the week segments as much as I can going forward talk about something internationally. So the U.S. is sending troops back into Somalia. Now, I say back into Somalia because we had troops there as of last year. Um, or was it, I think it was, I'm sorry, it was at the, the end of 2020. So I believe it was January of 2021, December of 2020, that's when troops left Somalia. We had had hundreds of troops in Somalia. Uh, one of the last things that Trump did before he left office was remove the troops from Somalia. And now Biden is sending troops back into Somalia because, you know, that's just, that's, that's what you do. Uh, so this is an article that I'm reading out of Politico right now. It looks like President Biden signed an order on Monday to redeploy hundreds of troops to Somalia to counter the Islamic extremist rebel group Al-Shabaab. This is in an effort that the American military leaders said has been hampered by Donald Trump's late-term decision to withdraw forces from the country. I like how they're trying to phrase it as if pulling our troops out of another nation was somehow a bad thing. Isn't that what Joe Biden said was part of the motivation for bringing troops out of Afghanistan was we were trying to leave forever wars and now we're sending troops into another country that is fighting a war that's frankly none of our business. The article goes on to say that these troops will be repositioned from elsewhere in Africa and trained to provide other support to Somali forces to fight this extremist group. It is a reminder that the U.S. remains engaged in a long fight against Islamic extremists from around the world. And then the decision to station forces in Somalia rather than rotate them in and out is intended to, quote, to maximize the safety and effectiveness of our forces and enable them to provide more efficient support to our partners. That was said by the National Security Council spokesperson, Adrian Watson. So apparently there'll be under 500 forces. They are not going into direct combat. Uh, instead, they're going to be working with Somali forces and providing security and personnel uh, from the State Department and from the U.S. Agency for International Development. 
This article goes on to say that Trump abruptly ordered the withdrawal of approximately 700 troops from Somalia at the end of his term in January 2021, an extension of a broader policy of seeking to pull out the U.S. of what he derisively referred to as endless wars. Hey, you, you know what? I'm going to say this, you know, if someone does the right thing, I don't really care what their name is. So I've made no bones about this, how I feel about Donald Trump. Didn't like the guy for so many different reasons. Uh, we can create a long list another day uh, when he eventually starts running for office again, which I think he will. I can go on that point in time and tell you about all the reasons why Donald Trump is dangerous and a psychopath. But in this particular case, Trump pulling troops out of Somalia is the right thing to do. And for Biden to go and put them back in, I, I just don't understand the angle here. I mean, one of the few things that I applauded Biden for during his presidency so far, I mean, obviously how he pulled troops out of Afghanistan didn't go the way we wanted it to. Obviously people lost their lives, um, which obviously is, you know, something that, I'm, I'm sure if we could do that over again, we would have done it differently. You know, obviously no life losses, you know, is, is a good thing, but it was the right thing to do to pull troops out of Afghanistan. And so I, I just to see Biden do this, to go ahead and deploy some more troops into Somalia, even though it is this small number and they said they're not going to be going into combat. It just feels like a slippery slope to me. We do not need to be sending our troops into any other place around the world to help some other country fight their war. I just, I don't like it. I think it's very problematic and it's very counter what Biden himself has said when he was running for office about not wanting to be involved in endless wars. So very terrible look as far as I'm concerned. I'm gonna keep an eye on this to see exactly where we go from here is, you know, if we're gonna be sending more troops there, if they do get involved in direct combat, if we end up, you know, like sending more troops over, it, it just, it seems as though no matter who is in office, the military industrial complex continues to churn no matter what. And so that's, uh, that is our news of the week update for this week. I hope that you enjoyed these couple different news items that I brought to you. Uh, if you have any thoughts on any of the stories I just presented, send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, tell me what you think about these stories. Are there, are there pieces of nuance that I'm missing that you might know of? Or are there stories that you might want to talk more about in depth? Send me a DM. Let me know. If you enjoyed this, share it on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, tag Independent Thought. Thank you so much for everyone who has subscribed. And I'll see you in the next episode.